And right now I'm joined by Dr. Mihi Whaanga, um, who is Creative New Zealand's College of Education Children's Writer in Residence. Good morning. Kia ora. How are we today? Kate Pai, Paitawat. Nice, cold. I must, I must add, um, you come from the Hawke's Bay, you've come down here to do this residency, and we were talking about that a little bit off air. So you're a very brave woman. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it, it, it was a big step. But yeah. it's really been a good one. Yeah. Um, the the writer's residency, it's such a luxury for a children's writer mm-hmm. to, well, for any writer, to have time just to write yeah. and not have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. In six months of that in Dunedin, um, I found Dunedin very supportive, very welcoming, quite wonderful. Um, very much a literary city. It, it, it's been a city of literature. It's been wonderful. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So you'll go back and spread the good word, spread the oh, gospel. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's not as bad as they say weather-wise, and the people are great. The people are great. Uh, right, of course, you are here um, because you are a resident, and we do quite often have residents, but you're giving a talk uh, entitled from... Uh, a Pipaha to Picture Book to Tribal History, telling Māori stories in multiple genres. How important, just first of all, because you are, uh, um, you're not only a children's writer, you do write um, histor- historian okay, accounts of history, I should say, um, but how important is it to tell Māori stories uh, at the primary school level? Because, uh, you know, a lot of children, uh, well, especially of my generation, growing up in the 80s, that was about, about as much exposure we got to Tereo and anything like that. Um, we did, I think my school was very lucky, um, especially for a school in Dunedin, we did actually do quite a bit, I think maybe about four four times a week we had Māori at my, at my school. Yes. Uh, and that was very much brought on by a teacher, um, Mrs Maxwell. And I, wonder, I just thought about that. I wonder if she's related to... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, but I know um, for most accounts, especially in Dunedin, that, that wouldn't have been the case then and probably still isn't now. So how important are, um, well, I guess, the books you write and, and other children's authors, uh, they write in, um, in uh, Māori stories, um, truth or, or legend. How important is that for children, you think? It's really important for our children, like when I say our children, for Māori children, mm-hmm. to see themselves in books. Yeah. And our children, as in New Zealand children, to see not only something that they can relate to, yeah. because all my illustrations include native plants, native birds, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but f- for children generally, it's important to see something that they can identify with, something of their home, mm-hmm. their end. Um, I tend to, the legends that I have written, actually I started with a very old one, The Seven Wows, The Legend of the Seven Wows back in 88, and that hadn't been recorded anywhere before. Mm-hmm. So I do work really hard at presenting a Māori perspective that is quite unique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but as you said, quite relatable to... But relatable to everybody. Yeah. My books are bilingual mm-hmm. and I insist on that. It sometimes is a bit of a struggle to convince the publisher (laughs) that bilingual books are a good way to go but 
it's a philosophy that my dad and I decided on way back in 86 that um, the languages should be seen side by side. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that's like our two cultures in this country, that Māori and Pākehā need to work together and should work together. Mm-hmm. And that the best outcome is when we do that. And hence the bilingual format. Exactly. I mean, and they are both official languages of Aotearoa, so why shouldn't they be? Yes, exactly. And why shouldn't one be as important as the other? I mean, I know because uh, English is the most dominant language that the majority of us uh, are taught to speak it from birth. Uh, and for um, a lot of New Zealanders, the only way to actually learn it is um, through learning it at school or, or after the case. And unless you are growing up, and uh, there are, I think there are a lot more families than there were back when I was growing up that are talking, speaking te reo in the household. That's right. And uh, a lot more children go to kohanga, mm-hmm. um, and, and they speak a lot of uh, te reo there too. So uh, that's really important. Um, now, so talking about. You're talking, your talk is about talking about the ways that Māori tell stories uh, and, and Pipeha is um, is like a, an introduction of, of one South, right? Um, during right. Uh, during a mihi, yeah. yes. uh, a, a greeting and um, and I guess that can stretch back hundreds of years. Yes, so I, I yes, thought I'd ask you yours. Oh, well, my Pipeha, okay. Ko taumutu te maunga, ko manga poike te awa, ko manga tahi te moana. Ko ngai tahu matawhaiti te hapū, ko ngāti kahungunu te iwi. Um, ko iha ka whānga te tangata, ko mere whānga tōku ingoa. That, that's my short one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have longer ones, but, but that'll do. Yeah. And like you say, that just that pepeha, very short one, stretches back probably, I don't know, a thousand years, we make reference to, um, I didn't mention my waka, which is Takitamu. Mm. So if I go back to the Takitamu, we're looking at several hundred years, perhaps a thousand. Yeah. And the idea is that if you're in a place on a marae somewhere that, that you're introducing yourself, other Māori hopefully will recognise where you're from. Yeah. And your name is the last thing that you say, which is quite different when you're introducing yourself in English. Mm-hmm. With the, without the Māori framework, you normally say your name first. Yeah. But in Māori, your name is actually the least important, your personal name. You start with your with the land and with the, the land features. Yeah. And, and that locates you in terms of Māoridom, where you're from. So people might not know your your hapu, mm-hmm. and for mine, for us, it's Ngai Tahu Matafaiti, and yes, we are related to the yeah. Tahu down here, the Ngai Tahu down here. Mm-hmm. Um, our story is he stopped in Whitehall first and, and left a few of us behind <laughs> uh, before moving on down here. But um, like I say, and quite often, you know, I've been in Hui on the Marae and I've asked one of my tribal cousins who somebody is that I that I don't know. And I've been told their grandparents. Uh, he'll say to me, oh, that's so-and-so's grandson or granddaughter. And he never does get round to telling me <laughs> what their actual name is. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a funny thing. And, and I, I guess it's a mighty thing. I'm, I'm not sure that, that Pākehā do to quite the same extent. Mm-hmm. I guess that the Scots have quite a 
quite are quite familiar with you know deciding on whether they're related and what clan they come from. Yeah, yeah, well, that, yeah that's still very important within, within that small community. And I guess I mean that probably is the same for a lot of oppressed, colonialized. Because we've got to remember the Scots were too. That's right. Yeah, um, and, and, but the English did well right around the world, didn't uh, they? <laughs> the Dutch, the French. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> And, and, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, it's important for Maori to be uh, for this um, pipeha and and for you to be connected to these story, these connect these stories to the tribe, your tribal past. Because it's something that us Pakeha just don't do. Mm. We don't even see past our grandparents most of the time, or our, or our great grandparents. Yes. I mean, I know um, that my dad's side of the family is from a certain part of Yorkshire, but I couldn't tell you where in Yorkshire it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I, 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 that's about it. I don't know the history or anything, and it just seems to be not that important to Pakeha. Um, but I guess maybe that's because we are living here in New Zealand and we don't have uh, the connection to that land. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I've done quite a bit of academic study, and years ago I read a book. It was edited by Michael King. Love Michael King's books. Oh yes, he he did some fabulous work, yeah. and I think it was called um, "On Being Pakeha" or "Being Pakeha," something like that. And it was a selection of essays by Pakeha who said, "No, they didn't identify as European. Mm-hmm. They identified as Pakeha." Yeah, yeah. And and that they were from. They did feel a connection to this land, and their culture had changed from the original settlers, mm-hmm. Scots, Irish, English, yeah. whoever came. And that they could no longer, even if they did know where in Europe they were from, that they didn't feel the connection that they did with New Zealand. It's true. I mean, I, um, you know, I've moved away from Otapote and um, on several occasions I always come back. It's it's my home, uh, and I know when I'm not here. I can feel it, you know, yes. and I think about it. So I do have a really strong connection to, to this place. Mm-hmm. That's where I grew up. I, I know everything about it. I know um, its history. Uh, well, it's certainly I know all about its Pākehā history and history since, um, you know, um, the the Wycliffe and the, and the Philip Lang came here, the, yes. the first boats of Free Scots, and I know some of its Māori history, and I think it's important to know that history for me, I think it's important for me to know that history, and that makes me more connected to the place, and that's exactly what your stories are about for you and Māori them. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and it's great, it's a glorious thing. It, it is, it's, and it's wonderful, that, that sense of, as you say, of home. Mm. Um, my, I married a Pākehā, a Sholam, and when my we had three children and when my son was ready to leave home um, 16 I said right we were living in Auckland at the time and I got his sisters and we went up to Puhoi because that's where the Sholoms first landed and I said this is as close to a Tudanga Huawei as your father's family has and it was quite wonderful then for them to see um, Sholem Park, Sholem Road, go into the church, the Catholic church, and mm. under every second window was a Sholem name. And the Sholems originally came from Bohemia, so my children sometimes called, describe themselves as being Bohemian Māori, and I thought, oh, I do like the description. <laughs> yes. But again, it was that sense of they'd grown up on my land amongst my people, yeah. and very much with my family, but 
just before you know the, the, the youngest was to leave home I thought oh it's time yeah it's time to go up to Pupu and just show them and, and it was an interesting journey but That's there's right. that there's that intermarriage mm-hmm. um, who was it Ranganui Walker some years ago we were discussing the whole Māori Pākehā thing and he said that he believed um, how did he put it he said, oh, it's just as well our people fancied one another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, because he thought race relations in this country would be solved in the bedroom, was how he put it. Yeah, I, yeah that's right. That's, a wonderful man. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, yes. Indeed, indeed. And it was uh, sad his passing, what, a couple of years ago now? Not, that, not very long ago, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, maybe even last year. Yes. Uh, might have even been this year. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I do remember that quote, and I think that's a fantastic. Yes, one. it is. Yeah, yes, yeah. and because it's so accurate. Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Um, now, um, in your book, uh, A Carved Coke of Tahu, um, you talked about cultural identity uh, being important um, in discussing impact of newer, newer times, newer industries. Um, do you think that a knowledge of one's past or, or a lack of knowledge of one's past uh, and uh, where they're from and the land they're from just uh, and that disconnect leads to you know not necessarily caring about it so the ability to just let it be carved up by whatever industry wants to do that let's talk about the you know the oil industry you know for example um so it's quite important to to uh let people know that history so they can look after the land and where they're from yes there's more of a i think a connectedness and very much a caring of what happens to your environment it's less that it's a varying perspective some and i'll say some park out because it's not true of every park out um, some Pākehā believe land is just a commodity to yeah. be sold and to be used and whatever you can extract from it, that's, that's you know, their mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. But for other Pākehā and for Māori, for Māori particularly, we believe we are descendants of the land. Yeah. So if you think of your your parent, as in, for us, it's Papa Tōnuku, um, the Earth Mother in, in their Pākehā, histories too they talk a lot about the earth mother mm-hmm. but for us let, let's concentrate on Māori um, you can't imagine partitioning your mother and cutting her into parcels yeah. and, and selling her off so so there is that aspect of knowing where you're from of knowing your land and particularly with in the carved cloak for Tahu I think that was the year 2000 we had an oil and gas company coming wanting to prospect for gas on tribal land and while the Komato at the time had agreed with it it was the younger ones who stood up in the hui mm-hmm. and who objected and led some quite strong protests against yep. it well is that worrying for you because you said the Komato um, were for it is, is, is it a worry that in some um, areas of Māoridom that uh, it's turning a bit corporate in a way because they had you know if for want of a better word there is talk about corporate Māori uh, and, and, and uh, you know uh, you look at some of the, the decisions Tainui has made and some others um, is there a, a, a worry that they're even though they know their story they're being disconnected by it 
there is in there's um, in in the Waro area we have a lot of Māori incorporations, so thousands of acres tied up in in incorporations, so very much the corporate model, and unfortunately some of them are very focused on trying to turn the most money that they can per acre. Yeah. And in the case of West Tech, there was a we there was an element of that in that what West Tech were offering in terms of rent for the small area that they needed was so much um, so much higher than what you get from sheep and cattle farming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so they looked at it in that respect that it was quite a good. Quite a quite a good um, proposal for them, but the younger ones looked at it in terms of it was near to Wahi Tapu sacred sites. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would be the long term effect? Is there, was there potential of pollution? Yeah. How did that affect us? Very close by the site was a, a freshwater lake where everybody had gotten eels. You know, time out of mind. Yeah. Generations. Yeah. If there was the slightest spill from the site, that would kill. Yeah. That would kill the eels. So the and the younger ones took a quite different approach, and they brought up things like the prophecy that was made. It was near the site of where the twelve logs are still, and the prophecy that was made back in the early twentieth century about a tabernacle being built there. And you know that this would usher in a new peace that God would come to dwell amongst the people, and would usher in a new age for our people, um, an age of much better health, prosperity, that sort of thing. Um, and, and it was very enlightening for me as a historian to sit there and listen to our people talk about that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and from people you wouldn't have expected it just in, in looking at them, yeah, um, <laughs> to come up, you know, to stand up in a hui, and um, one of my cousins um, follows the Rastafarian. Uh, long grey dreadlocks, yeah, yeah. and standing up in in the hui in the marae and talking and quoting Bible passages at us, and saying, you know, this is where the prophecy came from. It, it, it's it was an interesting experience and an interesting time. Give you faith for the future. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Yes, That's it great. Does. All right. Um, so, can you give us an exact rundown of what you will be talking about tonight? All right. Or today, sorry, this afternoon. Today, this afternoon. So, from Pepe Hard, the, the first one that I started off with um, to picture book, my first one was The Legend of the Seven Wales, 1988, Ancient Legend of Ngaitahu Matafaiti, and that book has never been out of print all this time. That's fantastic. That's just great. Um, <laughs> and and another one that I did after that, which has been out of print for a very long time, was Takoti's Diamond, based on the man himself, Takoti, and a diamond and a prophecy he made that he left on tribal land. Um, and from then on to the tribal history itself, we, after I launched the Seven Wales, the Komatua at Iwitea, Amarai, got together, and I had done a very small family history for the Bartlett family of Mahia, who started at Mahia. Um, They were whalers, 1830s, and up to 1990 was when I did that book. And the Komato came to me and um, they'd 
gotten together, started a scheme, finished the carvings for our house for at Iwite for Tahu, and they asked me if I would do a history of our own people of Iwitea. So it took me um, 14 years, but I had the Fellowship in Māori History, I think 2001-2002, and I finished the book then, A Carved Cloak for Tahu. And the structure of it is that it's based on the carvings of our meeting house. In our carvings, we tell the main stories. And so I focused a chapter on each of the major stories that are carved into our house. And hence the carved cloak for Tahu. Well, that's fantastic. All right, but that sounds um, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming in this morning. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, brilliant. Um, Well, um, enjoy the rest of your time in Aotearoa. I know you're leaving soon. Thank you. But um, you can take some stories away with you. I can, and it will be about how warm Dunedin has been (laughs) in terms of the people. People, Exactly, exactly. (laughs) They have been wonderful. All all right, thank you so much once again. It's almost time to go, but uh, here right now is soccer practice with Heidi Maia Tama. You are on the one. 91 FM.